This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. For those that maybe have not been here, we've gone on a journey of seven weeks to really lay the blueprint for the New Testament church. And so week one, we talked about the concept of the gospel, about that message bringing you to Christ for the first time. And the analogy we used, once again, is the idea of a baby being born, being brought into the world. Week two, we talked about a family, that the first thing and the most important thing God does is connects that new life to the family. The family in Scripture refers to a local church, not the universal church, not the the church that just is a bunch of people worldwide that believe in Christ, but a local church family that will love you, that will care for you, that will be in relationship with you and community with you um, to help not only to inspire you to the things that God has in your life, but to also come alongside and sometimes to, to shape you a little bit, to, to be a chiropractor and adjust you a little bit. And it's all good. It's the place and in, in the, in the context of what God wants us to do to grow. Third week, we talked about the house, that local church concept. The fourth week, we talked about what it means to build the house, not just to be in the house, not just to be a, a receiver of all the good things in the house, but to actually be a part of building the local church, to build the house of God. The fifth week, we talked about the goal of parents and children in that house, which is to make disciples, is to, is to, is to literally impact people's lives in such a way that their lifestyle will honor the values of the house that they've come from. Amen? Last week, we talked about leadership or church government in the house. Um, it was actually the funniest thing. I just have to say this this morning. I think I've had more feedback from last week's message than I have in five years. Weirdest thing. And I thought to myself, man, this is boring. <laughs> I feel bad for you got to put up with a blueprint message on something that's just so blah. And I've had probably more feedback in the last seven days than I've had in the last five years about one particular message. So thank you for that. It's encouraging. Because I was so encouraged by that, I decided to end with this one which is about authority. And I'm not going to talk necessarily just about those in authority, although that will, come, that will be tied into that. But I'm also talking about the authority of Christ that's been invested into the church. Amen? So before Jesus left, he declared something that um, is so incredibly profound, so incredibly um, just profound, not just for the moment that it happened, but for us today. It's incredibly appropriate for us today. Matthew 28, for those that have been around church any length of time, you'll know that this is kind of uh, called in, church, in the church world the Great Commission. Um, I love how some people say it was never the great, it's not the great suggestion, it's the Great Commission. I love that. Um, but verses 18 down to verse 20, it says, All authority has been given to me, this is Jesus speaking, in heaven and on earth, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. But I want you to focus in on one word, one thought here this morning that I'm going to kind of unpack and kind of bring back together at the end, just to help us to see the significance of this word. It's interesting here that he doesn't say all love has been given to you. He doesn't say all joy, he doesn't say all hope, he doesn't say all faith, he actually says all authority. And there's something very significant about this on so many levels. Um, and I want to dive into this this morning, but the, 
The, the Greek word that's used here for the word authority, for those you're never going to remember this, there's going to be no test at the end of this morning's message. But it's the word exousia, and it's found 64 different times in the New Testament. And it literally means the right to act, the liberty to do as one pleases, the power or rule of governance. All authority, the right to act. I want you to understand this morning that because Jesus died and rose again, you have the right to act. He's given you the authority or the right to act on behalf of him in the earth. The problem with the churches worldwide is that we're actually not acting as representations of Christ, but we're actually representing our own thoughts with a little bit of Christ mixed in. So one of the things that I constantly see is we see people that are... are if I can, I'm trying to think how to word this nicely. I'll just say it. People that are trying to use authority as power to influence and manipulate and destroying the very representation of what Christ died for. Christ died as a humble servant that was willing to lay his own life down for those that he loved. The heart of true authority comes from a deep place of humility, not power. I don't know about you, but authority and the concepts of authority, and including leadership, are kind of front and center in our culture today and on the news, um, mostly because it's being abused or misused. Uh, I'm sure you guys have seen that, noticed that. I think we could all probably come up with a very quick example of what that looks like in our culture today. Uh, but I believe it's because it's limited authority to one core principle or one core concept, which is the word power. And the problem with power is power is corrupting. Right? Think right now of one person that you've known in your history that you personally know, so not on the news, but you know personally who got power too soon and as a result corrupted people. Right? Okay, so we're all tracking. I love Paul's heart on this whole issue. He basically says this in 1 Corinthians. Uh, chapter 9, verses 18, it says, What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. His heart was never to abuse or misuse people for the sake of the gospel. He wanted the gospel to be this pure message that could transform hearts and lives. He understood the power in authority. He understood what it could do. He understood what it could do to inspire people, but he also understood what it can do to destroy people. He understood both mechanisms, and he wanted to be careful with that. One of the things that we've kind of been on a journey with, Sandra and I personally, is understanding the difference between the power of God and the authority of God. Because sometimes when we think of power and authority, we actually put them together. But they're actually two separate things. They're completely separate. And so oftentimes, people try to pray out of the power of God rather than out of the authority that we have in God. Can I say this morning, um, what allows a police officer to direct traffic when a stoplight out is out is not his or her power to stop a car. It's their authority to stop a car. Too many Christians are living in the realm of trying to work up the power element in order to overwhelm the enemy. And here's what I've come to the conclusion of in my life and in my own journey of trying to figure this out, is that what sets us free 
What empowers us and what, what makes the enemy's camp absolutely shudder of fear because of who we are is not how much power we have, but the authority that we walk in. We good? All right. People noticed authority on Jesus. As a matter of fact, Matthew 7, 29, it says, for as he was teaching them, they realized that he was one who had authority. They recognized right away that the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, spoke lots of words but had no power or authority. Jesus came, he spoke the same words that I'm sure Pharisees had spoken for hundreds of years, and somehow authority came. They recognized authority. Why? Because they recognized the, the evidence or the proof of that authority through his teaching. Can I say this morning that the evidence or proof of authority is changed circumstances and changed anything. Fill in the blank. Put a line there and fill in the blank with whatever you're going through. Authority can change things. Power can sometimes. But authority changes things all the time when we walk in it. Matthew 9, uh, 9 verse 6, it says, But so you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This was referencing healing the paralytic man. And you have to understand, there's a recognition that authority was on Christ. But not only did he have authority, he actually empowered his disciples with that same concept of authority. Luke chapter 9 verse 1, and he says, And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal d- diseases. Okay. I want to start with just a little thought here this morning that I just want to kind of present to you just so we can kind of get this over with, we're good, and then we can move on. There are two core things that I have observed in my life for the last number of years in the church, okay? The first thing is this. Wherever there's great controversy, hidden behind it is an incredible, powerful principle of God that we are missing because we're in controversy over it. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's one. Tithing, oh, I shouldn't have brought that up. There's another one. But authority is another one. The authority of the believer. The authority of the church. It is a hot-button topic issue. It's filled with controversy. And this is what I kind of landed on. Wherever there's great controversy is usually where God is. Not because he's in the controversy, but because it's the very principle that he wants to bring to the church that's being hidden because of the controversy. Okay? It's the first thing. Second thing I've realized is this. I cannot come up with a single example in my life of a church that ever split because of a church member. But I can come up with many situations and examples where a church split happened because of a church leader. Why? Because leaders have authority. Leaders have been invested with authority to lead. So the core of authority, the core word that we can use in modern day thinking is the word influence. They have influence. Now, from a Christian biblical standpoint, every believer in Christ has authority. In Christ. But what we're talking about in this particular series, this blueprint series, is the concepts of the church. So in the church, there are those that have been entrusted with authority in leadership to lead. And if I can say it again, to have influence. Something that I've learned. Last week we talked about two governmental offices in the church. We talked about deacons. We talked about elders. For those that have never heard of those words ever before in real life, elders are not, um, you know, experienced people, as we call them. Um, they're not people that have been uh, alive on the earth for 85 plus years. Elders are those that are called and, and literally set aside to govern the church and to give oversight to the church. Deacons are those to serve and to love and to care for those that are in the church. 
And what I wanted to come up with, I didn't want to get into this long kind of um, process of trying to flesh this whole thing out, but what I want to do is I want to present to you what I found. I found 20 characteristics or requirements found in the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And I categorized them all into 20 things that the Bible talks about the necessity for those that have authority in the church. Are you ready? So this is going to give you a picture of what God's requirements are for leaders in the church, not necessarily what corporate America would want in a leader. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so here we go. People of proven character. People full of the Holy Spirit. People full of wisdom and sound judgment. People whose public life reflects their private life. People who are well-respected due to their integrity. People who are an example to the rest of the church. People who are faithful. People who live with self-control. People who have sound doctrine. People who can faithfully minister the word. People who manage, love, and care for their own house well. People who have the heart of a servant. People who are gentle and patient. People who are not quick to anger or quarrelsome. People who are hospitable. People who live in holiness. People who do not misuse or abuse their authority. People who are not young in their faith. People who have a good reputation with those who are not believers. People who are good stewards of what God has given them. I want to give context to a couple things. Number one, if you want the list, just email me or text me. If you don't have my email address, uh, just pick up a card or a bulletin before you leave. Send me an email and I'll send you my notes. I'm good with that. A couple things I want to make mention of here just to give clarity to it. When it says uh, people who are not young in the faith, it does not mean age. It means how many, how many years they've been a Christian and how much they've gone through in their Christian walk and how much they've proven through the test of time and the test of circumstances whether they're living for God or not. Right? If we give context to the disciples, most of the disciples, from what we understand, were under the age of 25. Most. So that gives context to some of those things. All right. So why are these qualifications necessary for authority? And I want you to understand this morning, this is so huge. Can I, can I share you, uh, uh, with you a mistake that we made in the first year of our church that I'll never make again? We're talking about transparency here. Are you ready? Here's a mistake I made in the first year that I will never make again as long as I live because I learned the hard way. Never promote based on need. Never do it. Because you know what you're going to do? You're going to promote people that aren't ready. And when given authority, they can harm the church. People that would, do not have authority in the church cannot harm the church. What they can do is, you know, post stuff on Facebook and do these things and, you know, whatever they want to do. And you kind of just go, okay, well, hey, bless you. Thank you, Jesus, moving on. And I'm going to come to Sunday and worship Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you. Amen. But people with authority can influence people. That's not to say that people that were in leadership in the first year were bad people. They're awesome people. But one of the things that I saw is there was two things. Number one, I was too busy to care and to be involved in their life enough to be able to help them through the journey. So that's on me. But the second thing was this. They weren't ready. Not all of them, but some of them weren't ready. And as a result, there was issues. There was things that came out of that. And you know why that whole kind of fundamental thing that went wrong there is because I promoted based on need. Big mistake. I won't do it again. Most churches get into the trap of promoting based upon a need. And the New Testament talks about this concept of only promoting based upon readiness of character, readiness of their spiritual life, readiness of testing. And I think if we're all honest, we could probably think through some type of church experience. Maybe you're just new to church, so maybe you just think of maybe an ex example in your workplace or 
somewhere like that, where you saw someone that was promoted based upon a need, but they were not ready, and what happened? People's lives were hurt. People were walked over, stepped on, you name it, something happened, okay? Actually, I'm going to share this thought right now because I think it's appropriate. This is something God spoke to me about on Friday, and it's just kind of struck a chord with me. And, and I want to just kind of read it to you this morning um, so you can understand. And I want you to hear my heart, so don't take this personally, but just hear my heart. This is something God spoke to me about, and I actually look back at the last 25 years of my life, and I went, okay, yeah, I was there then, and I went there then, and I'm so glad I wasn't in that position then because I was struggling with that. Listen to this. Immature people, when immature people are promoted, they corrupt power. When insecure people are promoted, they corrupt people. And when indecisive people are promoted, they corrupt purpose. You have to understand, do we love indecisive people? Yes. Do we love immature people? Yes. Do we love insecure people? Yes. But that does not mean that they should be in a position of authority in the church. That means we love them into whatever it is that God has for their life. And maybe that is authority at one point in their life. But what we want to see is we want to see healthy people reproduce healthy people. Are we good? Because if we don't, what we're constantly trying to do is instead of dealing with one unhealthy person, if they have influence, now we have five unhealthy people. Are we, are we, I'm, being, I'm being real today. Is that okay? Are we good? All right. No one's throwing stuff at me. Okay, that's good. All right. So why is this whole core concept so important? Why does the church need to be protected from those that would misuse authority but at the same time, why do we need to be very careful that those that are in authority are those that love Jesus and love his church? Well, there's six major things that they are required scripturally to do that gives away why this is so important. Are you ready for this? Because they're called to govern the church, number one. Number two, they are to shepherd the church. In other words, they're to love them the same way Jesus loved them. How many know that insecure people will often love people in order to get the feeling of being loved back? But if we are insecure in leadership, then you're going to attract yourself to the wrong people and the wrong people are going to be attracted to you. And what's going to happen is insecurity will breed insecurity. Trust me. How do I know? Because I was an insecure person once that was completely run by how others thought of me. You can't have authority when you're in that place because you'll do everything for the wrong reasons and for the wrong motivations. How do I know? Because I was there. Okay? Trust me. Um, three, they're to teach the church. In other words, you want to make sure there are people that know what they're doing and know what they're teaching, that they've actually lived that life. Amen? Four, they're called to protect the church. That's one of the things that's always hard in leadership um, is how do you protect the church? How do you look out for the church? How do you care for the members of the church? How do you recognize people that may be coming in that have a, a, a motivation that's not godly and is actually out to harm people? How do we as shepherds and as leaders in the church of God recognize patterns and at the same time don't discount people because we recognize patterns? One of the worst things I've seen leaders do is we meet someone and within two weeks we've already got our mind made up on them. How many have ever met someone and you got your mind made up really, really quick? And yet Jesus looks at him and says, 
I see the seed of greatness on the inside of them, and I'm going to see you develop into the person God has called you to be. That's the heart of a shepherd, and that's the heart of godly leadership. At the end of the day, one of the things that I have to do sometimes, because sometimes I go through difficult conversations with people, and the first thing I got to do is get into my prayer closet, whatever that looks like for you, and I sit down and I say, Lord, I'm not getting out of this place until I can see the seed of greatness that you see. Because right now, I don't see it. Being honest. And I stay there until I see something different. So that when I come out of that place, I see the potential in that person. That doesn't mean I'm blind to the issues. It means it's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of reframe something for me and how I help them and what I connect, uh, or how I connect to their situation and to their life. Five, they're to, to direct the church. You need to have godly people that are directing the church. Amen? Six, and this is the scariest one that I always have my knees shaking over. They have to correct the church. Why is correcting the church important? Um, why is correcting your children at home important? Because if you don't, you'll have disorder. You have no peace. You have chaos at times. You have an open door to the enemy. And here's what I've often seen. You don't have unity. You don't have togetherness. You don't have community. You don't have that sense of we're all tracking together. Um, <laughs> Honey, what was the statement Pastor Frank told us before we moved here? If, uh, if you're, God's going to remove somebody or if blah, 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 that whole thing. Can you remember it? That one. Okay, never mind. Um, when God wants to protect the church, he often removes people. When God wants to bless the church, he brings people. And I want to say this just because I, sometimes you just have to be straight up with the church every once in a while. Today's a straight up moment. Are we okay with this? Just because people have come and gone does not mean they're bad people. As a matter of fact, almost all of the people that have left or have come and gone the last 10 years of this church, and there's a variety of different reasons for some. Some of them came, and back in our early days, we didn't have a youth group. So they came, they loved our church, but they moved on because there was no youth group for their kids. Some of it is uh, maybe a different philosophy when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they just struggle with that, so they moved on. Some of it were offended because I like the Leafs. <laughs> Kid, I'm kidding. Um, but here's what I've realized, is sometimes God will remove certain people to protect the church. Think about this for a second. How, you, how many parents in this room have ever been hearing about one of your kids talking about a kid at school, and every time they talk about that kid at school, something inside of you goes, okay, that, that, that kid, there's something not good about that kid. I don't like that influence of that kid. Something's going on with that kid. You know what I'm saying? We all feel it as parents that when children come home, they talk about it, you're like, oh, something's up with that one. I don't know about that one. And here's what I've realized. As spiritual leaders, we are to love everyone. But there are times in our leadership where God starts to wave the red flag in front of our face and say, keep an eye on that one. I personally don't like that part of my job, and I'll tell you why. Because I love people. That's what I'm here for. I love people. I want to see people do things that God has always called them to do. That's my heart. But sometimes you've got to keep an eye on things and go, okay, something's a little off here. So I'm going to keep an eye on that. And we've had situations and circumstances where people have moved on and sometimes it creates the sense of, oh, where did they go? And you know what our response is? 
I pray and I hope that they get connected somewhere and that they can grow and God can deal with them. But quietly, I'm like, you know what, Lord, thank you for protecting this house. And I can honestly say in our 10 years of church experience, it's only like two people in 10 years. I'm like, that's good. The rest sometimes just get caught up with different things and they move on. But can I say this morning, we're okay with that. We're not okay with the changes of church, and we're not okay with sometimes with things that go on in church with people, but here's what we've landed on. We will do everything that we can to make sure that godly people are leading in this house because it has great effect on the church. Why is this so important? Well, the goal in 1 John 3 verse 8 is very simple. God's call over the church is to walk in authority that would destroy the works of the devil. John 1, or 1 John 3 and 8. Also, Acts 10, 38. God's desire is for his church to do good and heal all that are oppressed of the devil. I'm telling you right now, the enemy is scared out of his mind of people that walk in authority of Christ and actually walk it out. I want to share just as a closing seven little thoughts that I've landed on um, about preparation for those that have the potential to be in leadership in a local church. So these are seven kind of core thoughts Biblically focused. One I'm stealing from Christine Kane because Christine Kane is awesome. So I called her up last night and said, Hey, Christine, can I steal one of your thoughts? And she's like, Oh, of course, man. That's awesome. Go for it. I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. Kidding. I don't know her at all. But man, I love her. Anyhow, number one, those that are in authority learn how to come under authority. Jesus was astounded by a centurion's faith because he understood authority. He understood that if Jesus said, just, send, just give me the word and I'm good. I know I'm a man who comes under authority. I understand how that works. Luke chapter 16, verse 12, it actually talks about being faithful in what is another person's. So how well can we serve someone else's mission? In other words, how well can we come under someone else's dream or someone else's goals? Uh, submission is a scary word in our day, but I love how Pastor Ray talked about it a couple years ago. She said, at the core essence, submission is to come under someone else's mission. Well, if we look at that scripturally, then we're all submitted to Christ because we're all coming under his mission and supporting his mission. It's not our mission, it's his mission, right? Second thought. Second thought. Those in authority learn how to be faithful in what is little. Luke 19, 17. And he said to him, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be an authority over 10 cities. It's interesting how Jesus ties in authority with faithfulness. Those who are faithful will walk in authority. Amen? Three, those in authority live the life of a servant. I, I, I heard this incredible teaching years ago by a man by the name of Paul Scanlon, who's a pastor over in Bradford, England. And he talked about this whole concept of Jesus being the epitome of servant leadership. That servant leadership is not about gaining ground, it's about helping others gain ground. Yet in so many leadership concepts today, especially in corporate America, where it's always about gaining ground for yourself. And in leadership in scripture, it's about gaining ground for someone else. Very different way of thinking of leadership, but that's how God works. Four, those in authority are motivated by love for people. 1 Corinthians uh, 13, verse 2. Interestingly enough, this verse is awesome. It says, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Interestingly enough, 
1 Corinthians 12 lists the gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 lists how to use them in the church. And right in between is what motivates us and how we use it. Love. Not selfish ambition, not to be noticed in the church, none of that. Here's point number five, and this is what I stole from Christine King because it's awesome. Those in authority are not about being discovered but being developed. Think about this for a second. The moment you were created, God already discovered you. So he doesn't have to discover you anymore. When you were created, he discovered you. So we don't have to live this long life of trying to be discovered with what we're good at. The goal for us as believers is to be developed. God, how can I develop what you've put inside of me? How can I develop that? That's the heart of God, and that's the heart of those that are humbly taking the right approach when it comes to authority and leadership. Okay? Number six, those in authority die to self and live for Christ. I have come to the overwhelming conclusion that the longer I'm in leadership, the more I got to die. Not physically, but emotionally, mentally, psychologically, and in pretty much every other way in my life. Why? Because it's not about me. The moment that I have personally struggled in my own life in the last 10 years is when I started to, to allow a dream or an idea to become more prevalent in my thinking and in my mind than Jesus himself. And it's very easy for us to do. Sometimes we get a hold of an idea or a goal, and it's not a bad goal. It's a good goal. Sometimes it's from God, and it's good. But sometimes that goal or that idea or that concept actually becomes the very idol in our heart instead of loving Jesus and loving those that he's brought into our lives. Amen? Number seven, those in authority live the principle of honor. I want you to give you the definition of honor scripturally. It's to value, to see as weighty or precious, to respect, appreciate, and esteem highly. That's what the word honor means. So likewise, in contrast, the word dishonor means to not show respect or value, to treat as common, to treat as ordinary or menial, something easily done away with. The call of the church, whether you're in leadership or whether you're not, is to honor each other. That's the heart of God. Why is this important? Because the enemy knows the significance of this principle. The enemy is scared of believers that live the significance of this principle. Think about this. How did Satan fall from heaven? For those that don't know, I'm going to give you the answer. The Bible says he fell like lightning. Luke chapter 10, Jesus describes to the disciples that event. And he says, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But what led to that? Well, Isaiah 14 gives it all away. We talk about the five I wills of Satan. And it literally talks about Satan living in the principle of self-exaltation. Exalting himself above God's throne. Exalting himself above God. Think about this. Every single person that is gifted with authority or influence will be tempted, not just once, but multiple times with whether you want to exalt your own authority and gift above somebody else. It's always there. We all are going to go through it. No one is immune to it. We're not just going to wake up one morning, pray and push a button, and that's never going to happen in our lives. It doesn't happen like that. It's always going to be there. So when right people are given authority and empowered, there's three basic things that come as a result. Number one, their ministries for Jesus. 
Number two, their ministry is for his church. And number three, their ministry is for others. Authority is a, a dangerous thing when in the wrong hands, but when it's in the right hands, it is the most powerful, most influential thing in the world. And when we are submitted to the cause of Christ and we're honoring one another, loving Jesus and loving his church, it is powerful what God can do. So what's the New Testament's mandate to those who are serving in the church? And then what's the New Testament church's mandate to those that are leading in the church? Well, to those that are serving, 1 Thessalonians, it says this, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peaceably with each other. For those that are leading, here's the, here's the command. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Authority is a difficult teaching. Can I say that even this morning, it's a difficult teaching for a senior pastor, because what does it look like? For some people, it's going to look like, oh, he's a controlling leader. Yeah, he just likes himself too much. He wants to talk about everyone. Submit to him. Submit, submit. And that's why I hate it. Whenever we have to do tithing messages, this is what we do behind closed doors. Are you ready for this? We like, we like you know, have the shortest and longest straw, and we, take, we pick a straw. Who's going to do it this time? <laughs> Not me. Yay! I, I don't have to do it. I'm kidding. We don't do that. Well, once we did, but that's a different topic for a different day. Um, but these are messages that we don't want to do in the natural because of the perception of how it can be taken in our culture today. But can I say to you this? This is a powerful concept that has the ability to allow a church not just to become a great church, but to become an exponentially great church. That when walking under God's authority and walking in God's authority, we're going to see powerful things happen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.